at uh, session number 12 in our series of studies, in our series of studies on the life of Moses. And uh, today we are looking at Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Now, Exodus 14 spoke about how the Lord brought them out of the Red Sea, and then the journey in the wilderness has started. And it continues on till chapter 19 when they come to Mount Sinai. But during this period, if you notice, different things have been happening, which is also symbolic of what happens in our own lives. The Red Sea, for example, is considered as the Sea of Salvation. When we have left Egypt and stepped out of Egypt and then through the Red Sea, and God takes us and delivers us. Then they came to a place called Mara. Mara was a place of testing and bitterness, where they complained against God, isn't it? You know? And then you know, God provided them that water later on when they come to Elim, which was a place of palm trees and springs. Then from there they moved to the wilderness of sin or the desert of sin, where they again said, oh, we are not getting any food, you know, we want meat. The Lord says, okay, you'll get quail and then you'll get the manna. It was a place of provision. Then in chapter 17 now, <coughs> they reach a place called Rephidim. And in this place, there is no water. If in the earlier place, the water was bitter and they complained, <laughs> now there's no water at all. What will you do? Again complain, again murmur. And if you notice, this place then is called as Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So Masa and Meribah was called that because they tested God. And then later on, you find that they also have a battle. The first battle after they have come out of Egypt. They didn't have any battles in Egypt, but now when they have come out of Egypt, they face the Amalekites. They face the Amalekites. Now, if you notice, this is a type of what happens in our lives. As long as we are sin, as long as we are under the control of Satan, it's not a battle because we are doing what he wants us to do. But only when we say no to Satan, yes to God, receive him into our lives, that's the time the battle starts. That's what we find over here. And that's the time that you begin to think, is it really worth following after God? People sit and do comparison then. Hey, before I came to know Christ, I had this, I didn't have this, now I have it, I have, don't have this. So the issues then start coming in. And the Lord uses all these things to teach us lessons and to draw us even more closer to Him. And the purpose of the battle is also that, you know, the purpose of the battle is also that. If you notice, you know, in, uh, you know when they came to this place called Mara, the scripture tells us, you know, he gave them a new revelation of himself. What is that revelation? The new name, Jehovah Rapha, which means I am the Lord, your healer. 
I'll take the bitterness and make it sweet. Now in this passage, you find another name that is mentioned, which is Yehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my flag. The Lord is my victory. So when we go through these situations in life, the Lord reveals a new understanding of himself. And as a result, we should not complain. We should not be upset when these things happen, but rather trust God to take us into a deeper walk with God. As much as we would have wanted to stay on in Elim, maybe. Elim was a place that, you know, was nice. Shady palm trees, plenty of springs. And oftentimes we think that's how Christian life should be, isn't it? A life of fun and games, a life of enjoyment every day, no problems whatsoever. The Lord says, no, 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 that's not how it is going to be. I'm going to take you. Remember, it is God who is leading them. And even when they came to Rephidim, the place which had no water, it was the Lord who had brought them there. So look at the hand of God. If you have given yourself to the Lord Jesus and accepted him and made him the Lord and Savior of your life, and given him control over your life, then the Lord is the one who's directing you. So everything that happens in your life is for a purpose. And as a result, look forward for what he is going to do in your life. Also, what he is going to teach you about himself as a result of what you're going through. Okay. So remember, life is a battle. Life is a battle. If in case you signed up to follow after Jesus, thinking it's going to be a nice, smooth journey, life is a battle. The New Testament tells us that we need to fight the good fight. We need to fight the good fight as a good soldier. God has enrolled us in his army. And if you are in his army, you're not relaxing, isn't it? An army, a soldier in the army is supposed to be fighting. Okay, So recognize that life is a battle. Every day when you get up in the morning, <laughs> remember it's going to be a battle. Battle against what? <laughs> to say no to what Satan tells you to do and yes to what God tells you to do. No to what you feel like doing or not feel like doing and saying yes to what God wants you to do. And that is what we must be doing in our lives daily. So don't think that life is going to be easy. Life is going to be difficult. But the assurance is what? Yehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. He is my victor. He is my flag. And I can trust in him that he will give me the victory in the battle. Now, look at this uh, now. Chapter verse 1 says, chapter 17 verse 1 says, the whole Israelite committee set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. Then in verse 8, we, we find, then you know, these individuals, okay, the Amalekites, came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Now, verses 1 to 7 speak about something that has happened. Then verse 8 now says, then this happened. What happened in the first seven verses? <laughs> they had received blessings from God. Now, before the battle that is fought, you find they have received some blessings. Once the blessings came, then the battle came. Now, it's a simple thought. Okay? 
once you know, they you know, came you know, out of Mara, they came to Elim. Once they have come to Rephidim and God provides them with water, then you have this Amalekites coming in against them in battle. <coughs> so remember, the past blessings that they had was an undeniable truth. What is the blessing that they had in these first seven verses? God told Moses to strike a rock in Horeb with his rod and water would come forth. Moses obeyed and then what happened? He struck the rod, water did come out. Okay. Now, the interesting part of this is these individuals complained against to Moses. Moses said, hey, these guys are you know, acting funny over here. He says, you know, what will I do with these people? Verse 4, they are almost ready to stone me. I remember how many days have gone by after they have come out? A couple of weeks only. Okay. Just a couple of weeks, six weeks, you know, and maybe another two weeks over here, you know. And then they are immediately saying, off with his head. This guy is useless. He is bringing us to these places which there is, you know, only tough things for us. Now, is that your response when trouble comes your way? As long as Moses was leading them into good things, they were happy. As long as they got their manna, they were happy. Now, they have no water. They asked for meat. They asked for food. God provided them. Now, there is no water. So, whatever they are not getting, they are complaining. They are not giving thanks for what they are actually getting. And that's a great danger, isn't it? When we forget the past blessings, okay, when we forget the past blessings, we must never forget what God has done for us in the past. This is why in this passage, Moses alone does not go with the stick. What does he do? He takes the elders along. Verse 5 tells us, you know, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile with and go, I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So this was going to be not only in a sort of, you know, Moses doing it, it was going to be done in front of the elders of the community so that they will take the role now to say, hey, look here, this is what God did for us. Okay. So the next time they start complaining, at least there'll be another bunch to say, hey, you know, don't complain, you know, trust in God. I wonder whether these uh, elders were also complaining over here when they were there, or this was an exposure to them to trust in God. Look at past blessings, you know. It's a reminder, isn't it? As the song says, you know, count your many blessings, see what God has done. Don't see what God has not done. Count your blessings and see what God has done, okay? So that's the important thing that we must do. Past blessings. The past blessings are undeniable. Don't forget it. But when you're thinking about the past blessings, also remember, there's also a present battle, okay? Yes, there's the past blessings. So, don't forget about that. Thank God for that. But also, don't just live in the past. There's also a, a present battle. There's a present battle. Now, having said that, when it says in verse 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Did they go and attack the Amalekites? No, no. 
the Amalekites came, okay? Now, Amalekites are a type, you know, just as much as we said coming out of Egypt is a type of being saved, you know, and then here Amalekites is a, is a type of our fleshly nature or our sinful nature or our proneness to sin. Now, who were the Amalekites, okay? Amalekites, if you notice, you know, were descendants of Esau, grandson of Esau. Who was Esau? The man who sold his birthright for us. Here was a person who was of Jacob, sold his birthright. Now, he's now become an enemy, okay? He has become an enemy. And it is interesting, wherever we read about the Amalekites, they are the ones who come to fight and they are the ones who are found inside the uh, Israelite camp. And they are the ones who are constantly trying to take away the blessings that God is blessing in uh, Jacob's lineage with the children of Israel. And that is something that we must recognize. Satan does not want to see us enjoying the blessings of God. This is why he would come and put these thoughts into our minds to say, hey, look, your God has not provided you with water. Or he would actually come and fight against us, thinking that we will give up, thinking that we will say, oh, Satan is too powerful. No, no. God gives us this assurance. That is why he says, Jehovah Nissi, he is the victor. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, we read, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Our sinful nature in us, we are listening to Satan, controlled by him. If we are listening to God's nature in us, we are going to get their victory. So the Amalekites were going to be perpetual enemies. They will fight here, lose the battle, come back again. And if you notice, this happens in scripture constantly, constantly. And that is the assurance that God gives to us even at the end of this passage when he says, write this down, I am the victor. He says they will be in a... In, at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. But, he says, they will be completely blotted out. They will be completely blotted out. So that's the assurance God is giving to us. He's saying, yes, life is a battle. Yes, Satan is real. Yes, he is trying to trip you down. But, he says, I've overcome him. The one who is in you, that is Jesus, is greater than the one who is in the world. Satan. So we don't have to fear him. We are conquerors. We have the banner of victory with us. That's the important thing that we must recognize. So yes, the battle is real, but don't get bogged down with the battle. Think of how God has helped you in the past. The same God is going to help you in the, in the present. Don't think that life is not going to be a battle. It's going to be unavoidable. You will face opposition. As long as you're in the enemy's camp, the enemy is happy. He's not going to trouble you. But when you leave the enemy's camp, you belong to the Lord's camp, then there is definitely going to be trouble. Now, in this scenario, what should we do? If we say life is a battle, what can we do? What did Moses do? What does the Bible tell us? The scripture tells us in verse 9 that Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill 
with the staff of God in my hands. He felt the battle. Okay, the battle was strong. The pressure was strong. Moses is the leader. Remember, okay. And if you are a leader in any way, in any form whatsoever, the leader always gets the most pressure. The people under him, you know, may not be as getting that much of a pressure. But the leader is always under pressure. And when you think of your life, you, the leader of your life, you are definitely going to be under great pressure. The others may not understand how much pressure you are going through, but you know it. So when you are under pressure, like Moses, what should we do? The Bible tells us that Moses went on top of the hill. Now, this is how he responded to the burden or the pressure that he felt. He did not run away from the situation. He did not complain to God and say, God, you just gave us water. Now these guys are coming to attack us. Who are these fellows who are attacking us? How can we survive? You brought us out of Egypt for this to fight against them. No, no, that's not what he did at all. He said, Joshua, you, you go and fight. But I and Hur, we will go up and pray. Moses here actually represents the importance of prayer in our lives when we are in a battle, when we are in a battle, okay? Anytime we pray, we are actually moving to higher ground. Battle is in the plains, but the fight is going on in the heavenlies, you know? We are on higher ground. Somebody has said, if you pray, but don't go to war, you're a fool, you know? It's like a person who is you know, you know, a soldier. A soldier is training and training and training, but if he's never going to war, he's just sitting at home, and I say, what soldier is he, isn't it? You know? But if you go to war without praying, then you will definitely be a failure. If you go to war, you say, I can handle it, I don't need to pray, you're definitely going to be a failure. So yes, every day is a battle. But how do you face that battle? How do you face that pressure? Remember, prayer is the key tool that God has given to us, okay? It was an important prayer. It was an important prayer. Let me explain to you why it is important. The scripture tells us over here, and it came to pass, verse 11, when Moses lifted up his hands, that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hands, Amalek the word prevail in the Hebrew language literally means to be given strength, to be given strength, okay? So that's the key over here. In the battle, prayer gives us strength. Prayer gives us strength. Now, that's one part of it. But remember, what does the Bible also say? When he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. In other words, if we don't pray, then the enemy prevails, okay? Now, this is a tight situation, okay? You want the victory, then you must pray. If you don't pray, then what's going to happen? The enemy is going to become stronger, okay? Ask yourself this evening, what role does prayer pray play in your life? Do you pray only out of a routine? You have to pray, so you say a prayer, or is prayer a vital communicating link with God? Because that's the tool that God has given to us. He knows life is a battle, and as a result, He has given us that tool of prayer, which will strengthen us 
prevailing prayer that we will get the victory. God has given us that tool. But if we don't use that tool, what will happen? The pressures are going to become more. The enemy is going to become stronger. So what option do we have? Do you want the enemy to become stronger or do you want to become stronger? Learn to pray effectively. Set apart time for prayer. Not only was this an important prayer, it was an intercessory prayer. It was an intercessory prayer. Joshua is out fighting, but Moses and Aaron and Hur are the ones who are interceding or praying for him. As he is out in the battle, he is praying. Moses is praying, Aaron and Hur are lifting up his hands. Try and think. Keep your hands lifted up. You know. Maybe if you are punished for something and you, know, you have to keep your hands lifted up for a long time, how long would you be able to do that? You know? Maybe an hour, two hours. After that, you know, your hands are going to pain. So what did these guys do? They said, okay, sit down, Moses. Your legs are paining. And then one on the left, one on the left kept lifting up his hands. Because they noticed when his hands were down, they noticed that they were losing the battle. And this is the important thing, that it is our prayer that plays a vital role. Our prayer that plays a vital role. We may think, you know, hey, what's the point of praying? You know, will anything happen from prayer? No, no. Prayer is the tool that God has given to us, so we must recognize the importance of it. Let me share with you this incident which a missionary, you know, told when he came you know, to his home church. You know, and let me read it to you as he narrates it for us. He says, while serving at a small field hospital in Africa, every two weeks I traveled by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. This was a journey of two days and required camping overnight at the halfway point. On one of these journeys, I arrived in the city where I planned to collect money from a bank, purchase medicine and supplies, and then begin my two-day journey back to the field hospital. Upon arriving, arrival in the city, I observed two men fighting, one of whom had been seriously injured. I treated him for his injuries and at the same time talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. I then traveled two days, camping overnight, and arrived home without incident. Two weeks later, I repeated my journey, and upon arrival in the city, I was approached by the young man I had treated. He told me that he had known I had carried money and medicines, and he said, some friends and I followed you into the jungle, knowing you would camp overnight. We planned to kill you and take your money and drugs. But just as we were about to move into your camp, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 gods. At this, I laughed and said I was certainly all alone in the jungle campsite. The young man pressed the point, however, and said, No, sir, I was not the only person to see the gods. My five friends also saw them, and we all counted them. It was because of those gods that we were afraid and left you alone. At this point in the sermon, one of the men in the congregation jumped to his feet and asked the missionary if he could tell him the exact day that that happened. And the missionary told the congregation the date, and the man told him this story. He said, on the night of your incident in Africa, 
It was morning here and I was preparing to play golf. As I was about to start play, I felt the urge to pray for you. In fact, the urging of the Lord was so strong that I called men in the church to meet with me here in the sanctuary to pray for you. Would all of those men who met with me on that day stand up? And the men who had met together to pray that day stood up. And the missionary wasn't concerned with who stood up. He was too busy counting how many had stood up. And there were 26 men who stood up. Men prayed, 26 guards. And because God put it, a burden upon their hearts to pray for this missionary, right at that very moment, intercessory prayer brought the victory. So let us never think little about praying for others. Let me ask you, you know, honestly and seriously, do you pray for others or do you pray only for yourself? Is your prayer only, Lord, please bless me, bless me, bless me? Or is your prayer for others? Do you pray for your parents? Do you pray for your brothers and sisters? Do you pray for your you know, uh, other uh, friends and relatives around? Do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for your missionaries? Do you pray for Christian leaders? You know? Do you pray for those who, whom you know are sick or those whom you know are going through trouble? Pray. It is an important tool. Intercessory prayer works because God has given this tool to us. So remember that life is a battle, definitely. Life is a battle, definitely. But God has given us this tool for the victory. As long as hands are lifted up, hands are lifted down, strength is given to the enemy. So let each day be a day where you would be strengthened in your prayer life. Let me encourage you, you know, if your mind is not sharp, your memory is not sharp, you know, who to pray for, make a list, make a list, you know. Pray for, you know, your friends, pray for your parents, put them down by name, you know. Maybe you know some specific needs that people are having, you know. They are going through sickness, they are going through trouble. Pray for them specifically. Make use of that time and the tool that God has given to us because that will strengthen you. It will strengthen you. Yes, life is a burden. Life is a battle. But God has also given us the strength and the tool of prayer. Okay. Now in verses 14 and 15, if you notice, you know, God gives this banner. God gives this banner. Now, this is the first time in scripture that we are told that God told the people to write something down. Verse 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. The Lord says, write it down. What to write down? The banner, Yehovah Nissi. I am your banner. I am your victor. He says, write this down, write this down. Why write it down? So that we don't forget it, okay? And the first time in scripture, you find God telling Moses, write this down, okay? Important truth, isn't it? Two things that we learn from you. Number one, that victory is precious. Victory is precious. God is assuring, assuring Moses, the children of Israel, that I am your victor. 
It is like, you know, when you have um, climbed a mountain, you know, you go and put your country's flag. Or if your nation wins a game, you have your you know, nation's flag being, you know, waved around. What are you saying by that? You know, our country won. So that's the banner that God is asking us to remember and lift up. Who is the victor? Who is the one who gives you the victory in the battle? It is Jesus. Jesus is our banner. Jesus is our banner. He is the one who is fighting for us. He is the one who has fought for us. You know? He is the one who paid for our sins on the cross and as a result defeated Satan and given us the victory. So look to Jesus. Jesus is the banner. Victory is precious. It has been given to us by his own precious blood. Also, victory is promised. Okay. We look back on what God has done for us and say, Lord, we thank you for the victory. But also, we look forward into the future. The Lord says, this is what I'm going to do to the Amalekites. Yes, they will be with you for generation and generation, but I'm going to totally destroy them. Yes, life is going to be a battle, you know, even though I have already won the battle, but I'm the one who's going to be with you and help you to get the victory. And that's what the Amalekites were all about, isn't it? As you mentioned earlier, Amalekites is a representative of the flesh, our sinful nature that constantly keeps you know, asserting itself, trying to say, hey, you know, do this sin, do that sin, you know, or trying to put doubts into your mind and say, this will God really help you in this? You have done this, you have done that, God won't help you. All those things, it's a sinful nature that comes into our minds and provokes us to sin so that we miss the blessings of God. That is Satan's plan. But we look at the cross, we look at Yehovah Nisi, the banner, and says he is our victor, and he is the one who is going to continue to give us the strength. Now, what do we need to do when life is a battle? Three simple things, okay? Number one, we need to fight. We need to fight, okay? You know, when life is a battle, don't give up, okay? Don't say, you know, I didn't sign up for this, you know, you know I give up, and you know, I want an easy life. No, we are called to be in a battle. So whether you like it or not, life is a battle. So get up and start fighting. Now, what did the uh, Amalekites do? You know, the scripture tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 to 18. Deuteronomy 25, 17 to 18. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. This is the enemy's attacks. Who does he attack? Those who are lagging behind. Who does he attack? The weak individuals. Okay. Enemy is not attacking the individuals who are trusting in God. Enemies are attacking those who are lagging behind and weak. So this is where we must recognize the enemy has his strategies and we must be willing to stand firm on the victory that God has given to us. Because this is what the scripture tells us. He says, I am going to fight for you. Victory will be yours. I'm going to make sure that they are going to be destroyed forever. And the Lord gives us the assurance. He says, I've given you victory now here on earth and look forward for that day 
when one day the very presence of sin would not be there, Satan would be thrown into the, in a lake of fire. He will suffer forever. That is what God has planned. In the meantime here, he says, stand firm. Don't give up. Life is a battle. Keep fighting with the strength that God gives to us. Secondly, in this fight, we need each other. None of us can say, I can handle it on my own. Here, what do we learn? Joshua was fighting Aaron and Hur and Moses. Aaron and Hur lifting up Moses and hands up Moses spring. Each one playing their role. So in this battle, God has put us in families. In this battle, God has put us in fellowships. In this battle, God has put up put us up in the body of believers so that each one can help strengthen each other. In Luke 22 and verse 32, Jesus told Peter, go and strengthen the brothers. In Acts 18, 23, Paul traveled back and forth and strengthened all the disciples. And God has given us this tool of encouraging one another. That's why the scripture tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because when you assemble yourselves together, that is the time for encouragement of one another. We need each other. No man is an island. God is not saying, you you know, it's only between you and God. You don't need anybody else. We need each other to stand by us and to encourage us. Thirdly, definitely, more than we need each other, we definitely need the Lord. We definitely need the Lord. We cannot do it on our own. This is why the Lord tells Moses, write it down, write it down. And this is the first time also that the altar is built in Exodus. Altar signifies a time alone, a time separated, a time of sacrifice before God. So God is saying over here, if we need to get the battle victorious in our lives, we need to stand firm on victory ground. Ephesians chapter 6, you know, put on the whole armor of God and after done everything, stand firm. Victory has already been got, you know. We are not sitting down trying to defeat Satan. We have already, God has already defeated Satan for us. We are standing firm on the victory ground. That's the fighting that God is asking us to do. And in this battle, take the help of one another in the body of believers. Definitely rely on God. Rely on God because he is the one who is the one who gives us the victory. So he's telling the Israelites, don't worry. Yes, the Amalekites will be with you from generation to generation. But he says, don't worry. I am the one who is going to look after them. And I will definitely destroy them. But when we don't pray, what are we really saying? We are saying, I can do it on my own. You know, I don't need God. But when you pray, what we are saying is, Lord, I am not able but you are able and I'm trusting in you. Let me close with some strategies that we can have to prepare for battle. Now, before you go to for war, you know, any nation must have a strategy, you know, isn't it? If you don't have a strategy, you're not going to win any battle. You know? Have a plan, have a goal, then you will definitely succeed. Now, if you notice in this chapter, we find that two types of battle are there. One is the internal battle that they faced of murmuring, grumbling, you know. And the second battle was the external battle of the 
amalekites okay so for both these things we must have a, a strategy first of all we must drink from christ to deal with problems from within you know we must depend on christ you know we must feed on christ we must lean on christ you know you know for the problems that are coming up from within times when we have doubts in our minds or we have grumbling and uh, attitude you know how do we deal with that okay how do we deal with that simple lessons number 1 we should be on guard we should be on guard against an evil and an unbelieving heart that grumbles against god's dealings that we must be on guard in other words you know yes we are prone to grumbling we are prone to have worries we are prone to have doubts but be on guard put up your guard okay don't relax you know uh, soldiers never relaxed you know soldiers always recognizing that life is a battle secondly when you are also thinking about you know be on guard it basically means that you recognize that god is the one who has in control ask them to refer him So we are the one who brought them to refidim. Did you know that there was no water there? Yes, he knew there was no water there. <laughs> you know, he knows about it. So whatever situation comes your way, remember God knows it. And as a result, instead of being worried about that and having that internal anxiousness or complaining spirit, you know, come before God and say, Lord, I trust you. You are in charge. You know, so be on guard. secondly we also need to be on guard against grumbling against the spiritual leaders it is easy to put the blame on somebody else you know it is easy as children maybe to put the blame on parents you know it's easy as children maybe to put the blame on your teachers you know or somebody else who is an authority it is easy to put the blame on somebody else and grumble against the others but on guard be on guard instead of you know grumbling against the leaders what should we be doing as we just learned intercede for them pray for them okay simple thing when you begin to pray for somebody the grumbling attitude will go away when you begin to thank god for somebody the grumbling attitude will go away so deal with that internal grumbling by being on god thirdly take every problem from within to the lord and rely on his sufficiency rely on his sufficiency what did moses do you know here these guys were complaining and moses is basically saying lord this is too much you know they are almost ready to stone me but to whom does he say that you know he comes and tells god he takes the problem that he is facing the battle that is raging he brings it to god and that's the simplest thing that we can do but also the most important thing fb mayer said that when we have reached the end of ourselves we have got to the beginning of god when we have reached the end of ourselves we have reached the beginning of god it's only when we say lord i cannot do it but come to him and say lord you take charge then we find that the internal strength will come in and <coughs> that there will be that prevailing that be that internal strength <coughs> fourthly god's gracious provision to deal with his prob- people's problems is to give them christ who is the water from the rock again the symbolic aspect in 1 corinthians chapter 10 <coughs> and verse 4 <coughs> 
Paul makes this remark and says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. And that rock was Christ. So what God was teaching them, even through this incident of no water, Jesus is the rock. He's saying, I'm the one who's going to give you life forevermore. So if we have internal issues, if you have internal grumblings, if you have internal worries, you know, come to Christ. Drink from him because he is the one whom God has provided for us. Okay? He is the one whom God has provided for us. So never think that I can't do it. What is God doing? He's made the provision. He's made the provision. So learn to come to him. Secondly, we should drink from Christ to deal with problems from without. Okay, from without. Okay, up till now, God has done everything for Israel. He had struck the Egyptians with the ten plagues. He divided the Red Sea. He destroyed Pharaoh's army in the sea. He graciously provided both water and food in the barren desert. You know, now this is what God has done. Now, do something in terms of standing firm. Now they are facing an external enemy and now they have to stand firm. And that's what God is telling us. He says, look here guys, I have done this for you. All that I'm asking you is when the enemy attacks, you know, don't give up, you know, because the victory is you already got. Put up the banner, Yehovah Nisi, you know, don't give up, you know, don't surrender to the enemy, but stand firm. Yes, there will be an attack from outside but you need to stand firm. We must fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, which seek to destroy them, which seek to destroy us, you know. There is definitely going to be a battle, you know. The world and its pleasures, the flesh, our sinful nature reaction, and the devil constantly trying to trip us up. But how do we deal with them? By the assurance that God is the one who is living in us. He is the one who is living in us. If you notice, centuries later, after Moses, God commanded Israel's first king, Saul, to destroy Amalek because of this attack on Israel in the wilderness. But Saul, instead of destroying, what did he do? He spared Agag, the Amalite king, and some of the best sheep and oxen. And because of Saul's disobedience, God removed him as king, okay, and replaced him with David. Later on in David's time, some Amalekites raided Ziklag, taking captive some of the families of David and his men. But what did David do? With God's help, he slaughtered them and recovered all the families and the belongings. So time and time again, we find the Amalekites attacking, Amalekites attacking. But God is saying, I have given you the power. Yehovah Nisi, the victor banner, is there with you, so don't give up. How do we fight? We fight by prayer, by using means in the battle and by remembering God's perpetual opposition to the enemy. Three areas. We fight by prayer. We have been saying that. Stand firm. Lift up the hands. Victory is there. What are the means that God has given to us? The whole armor of God, the scripture tells us. Put on the armor. What is the armor? The scripture speaks about guarding the loins with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, 
having our feet shod with the gospel of peace, taking up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then after doing all this, he says, stand firm, stand firm. Okay. So we fight this by prayer. We fight this by the means that God has given to us. And definitely by we fight by remembering God's perpetual opposition to the enemy. In other words, we are constantly looking forward. This is what God has promised. That's why God told Moses, write it down. For generations to come, they will remember that God has promised he is going to wipe out the Amalekites. Yes, they are going to be there from generation to generation, but he has promised that one day there would be no more. That's the assurance that God gives to us. Yes, we are going through the battle, but don't worry. For one day, we'll be free from the very presence of sin. He has assured us that one day, Satan is going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Hell has been prepared for Satan and his angels, the Bible tells us. He doesn't want us to go there. God doesn't want us to go there. But Satan does not want to go there alone. So he wants to get as many people with him as possible. Our job is to remember the truth and not respond to the lies of Satan. So my prayer is even during this week, as you go through different uh, uh, problems, different tough times, you know, don't give up. Life is a battle. That's what God says. Okay, But also remember the flag. Remember Yehovah Nisi. He is our banner. Look at the cross whereby God has defeated Satan. And one day, we can be assured. Right now, he gives us the strength as we pray, as we use the tool that God has given to us. He gives us the victory in our daily battles. But one day, Satan himself is going to be you know, put into the fiery furnace as punishment for all that he has been doing. And we would be living eternally with God in heaven. So look forward for what God has promised and live each day with his strength. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.